Welcome to The New Way, the bite-sized podcast for leaders and executives like you who want to transform their organisation and inspire people to work in new ways. Forget stalled progress and disappointment from upstairs. Each episode, I reveal how to communicate your vision, drive change, and become the leader that everyone loves. No BS or fluff, just the practical info that you need. I'm Dr. Kate Byrne. Get ready for actionable insights, mini execution plans, and game-changing secrets from my 20 years in the trenches, supporting senior leaders to introduce the new way. (laughs) Let's get started. Organisational culture seems to be one of those things that lots of people are talking about. But when it comes to improving organisational culture and actually doing it, not many are able to kind of really distill concepts into genuinely useful how-to frameworks or a practical roadmap for folks. If you've listened to a recent episode that I did about the top five lessons I've learned from doing 50 episodes of this podcast, you'll know that one of those lessons for me is that organisational culture must always be part of any change management conversation. And that is why I am so excited to have Shane Michael Haddon on the podcast today. Shane is an author, trainer, coach and speaker based in Melbourne, Australia. He's a member of the Forbes Global Coaches Council, a Gallup Certified Strengths Coach and the author of two books. His most recent is called Let's Talk Culture. And that's exactly what we did in this conversation. Shane did a bunch of research on organisational culture in Australia as he was preparing to write his latest book, and the findings of that study are fascinating. In this conversation, Shane shares some of his biggest findings and insights, and he also shares a goldmine of practical tips for those interested in improving their organisational culture. We cover so many things. We cover the most useful definition of culture that I have heard from anyone, why the organisational culture set by the senior leadership team often doesn't seem to flow down to the rest of the organisation, you know, why it seems to get lost or mixed up in the organisation's engine room and what to do about that. We talk about who's actually responsible for culture, how to move middle managers from cultural renters to owners, and five very specific conversations people managers must have with their teams to improve culture. This conversation with Shane is packed, packed with so many great takeaways and practical tools. I know that you are going to love it. So without further ado, let's dive in. Shane, I'm so excited that you're joining me today. Thank you. I'm so excited. I I have been preparing my entire life for this very conversation. Based on our based on our conversation what? pre-recording, that's why. <laughs> yes. I, I feel like if people could hear the uncut conversations of this podcast, yes. they would be so, so happy. So please, in the future, release an uncut version. <laughs> Shane and I have just met each other, but based on our pre-conversation before recording, we're, we're going to be besties for life now, I, pretty much. I think so. <laughs> well, look. Let's dive in. Something that I wanted to ask you, I know it's a big question up front, and I know that there are a thousand perspectives on this and, and so many ways to answer it, but I would love to know, how do you like to define the idea of culture? 
Oh gosh, that is a huge question up front. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay, but I totally understand that because it's it's the number one question everyone wants to know. It's always the first question I get asked, and for good reason. It, it sets the context for what we're going to talk about today. If I was to boil it down to its essence, most of the time, the culture that people talk about in an organization, when they say it's the culture, what they're really referring to are usually like the behavioral norms or the norms within an organization. That's most of the time. It's not the complete definition of culture, but it's probably the most simplistic way I could talk about culture within the context that we're talking about. Mm, Yeah. I think that's a really handy way to define it as the behaviors, because then it is something that is observable for people, understandable and kind of more tangible for folks, that's really useful. Something I wonder is this idea of an emphasis on influencing and changing the culture. And I wonder why should we even be thinking about that? Why can't we just leave culture to, to be and do whatever it is, whatever it wants to be organically evolving in our organisation. Culture, why can't just culture be what culture is? I mean, it depends who you ask. I mean, if you ask a person that loves the culture they're a part of, they would be like, hey, why do we need to do anything about culture? Culture's great. And so, sure, let culture be what culture is. But if you ask a person who's in a part of an organisation that doesn't love their culture, they would be like, well, tell me what we could be doing about changing the culture. How do we move it to be kind of the culture we want? And one of the things I often find with team leaders is very few team leaders I talk to go, the culture of our team is exactly the way that I want it to be. And so more often than not, they're saying, hey, we need to change our culture or amplify our culture, improve our culture, make adjustments to our culture. And so when we did some research for the book that I wrote about culture, and part of that research was asking people, what's the role of culture and can you change it? And what do you believe about culture? And 99% of the people in our study said that culture plays a critical role in the overall success of an organization. So there was no argument that the people we asked said culture really matters to them. The challenge was then when we asked them the question that you asked me, which was, can you define what organizational culture is? And I think it was something like 97% said, yes, they can. It was 0.1% said, no, I have no idea what culture is. So naturally the next question we asked them was, well, tell us what your definition of culture is. And uh, about one in 10 could give us some kind of consistent answer of what they believe culture was. And it was something to the effect of culture is the set of values and behaviors and principles that guide and inform the actions of all team members. And it was such a good definition. I was like, wow, people were really clued in that, that 10% were really clued in on what culture was. Well, the next question was like, I was like, it's almost too similar. And I thought to myself, what would I do if I didn't know what the answer to a question was in an online survey? And I was asked and I said that I did know the answer, but then I was called out for knowing the answer. And I just quickly opened Google. I typed define organizational culture. And the one in 10 answer that people gave us was the number one definition of what culture was on Google. (laughs) Wow. Interesting. Okay. That's a very- The reality is most people don't know what culture is. (laughs) But they do know how to seek information. So (laughs) they do, they do, which is relevant for change managers in their defense, right? Right now, there is no universal definition of culture. So the research for the, that we undertook, we, we tried to seek a little bit understanding of what the universal definition was and pre kind of like internet. So like really academic focused literature, there was about 54 different academic definitions of culture. And I was doing an interview with a professor of, he runs the Berkeley Culture Initiative over in California. And he said, Shane, if you want to start an argument amongst academics, just try to ask them to define 
organizational culture. And he was right because it's really tricky. And so we found that there were actually, of the 54 definitions, there were four key themes that came out in all of the definitions. And these are important contexts for us at the start of this conversation because when you say, can you change culture? These are the levers that you pull on in order to be able to change the culture. So the first one is culture is always collective, meaning that it always refers to a group of people, not an individual. So wherever we have people, we have culture. So when someone says, I want to build the culture, it's a bit of a misleading statement because you already have a culture. It's really, I want to change the culture. So it's collective. The second is that it's usually has aspects of it, which is unseen. So there are things that are below the surface intangible. So things like beliefs, values, meanings, assumptions. How do you point to those? How do you see those? You can't, but they influence culture. The third is that it's got observable behaviors. And that's what the ones that most often when we say, what's your culture like? They point to, you know, we're inclusive because of this behavior or we're empowering because of this behavior. So that's the third one. And the fourth one, which is really important is that culture has a social learning component to it. Meaning that we pick up culture just by being around other people. So whatever the kind of collective norms are of the group, we, we take from that and we learn from that to interpret what the culture of an organization is. So those are four levers that any leader can pull on to be able to shape and change the culture that they're working within or of their team. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That is such a great practical distinction, those four key traits that I know people listening will love to pick up and put in their toolkit. That's really, really helpful. Something that I have observed myself across different uh, organisations in the public sector, and these are, just in case people listening aren't familiar with that, I'm talking about they typically are very large organisations that with a thousand or more employees across them, across different locations, that kind of thing. Uh, And something that I've observed in conversations with senior leaders, so the CEO or the secretary, secretary is just a way of saying that's the leader of that organisation in the public sector. They'll have a clear vision for the culture. They'll kind of set the overarching idea around it. They will probably mention it frequently. They might do some videos. There will be information out there about it. There might be posters on the wall that, you know, kind of sum up their vision. And so it's been set. But something I've observed is that it doesn't seem to flow down the organisation exactly in that way. Uh, And it kind of, there's something that happens in the engine room of the organisation where things kind of get a bit scrambled and a bit messed up maybe messed up isn't the right way, but just difference happens. Is that something that you've observed too? Yeah. When we talk to people about who is responsible for creating the culture within an organization, that was one of the questions we asked in our research. And as you look at the organizational charts, you typically, let's kind of talk more broadly terms. So you've got CEO, kind of the organization's leaders, you've got the C-suite, which is, you know, your debt sex and your secretaries and, you know, obviously in the organizations and you move down through your managers uh, and then your team members, right? So as you look through the way that that cascades down, we ask people who's responsible for what. And there was a number of different areas. We said, who's responsible for setting the culture? Who's responsible for leading it? Uh, who's responsible for living it out every day? And then who's responsible for addressing all the cultural inconsistencies that show up day to day? And when we asked a thousand leaders in Australia, a thousand middle managers specifically, they said the CEO or the senior leader of the organization is responsible for setting it. The C-suite are responsible for leading it. 
But then they said the managers are responsible for communicating it, living it out every day and addressing all the cultural inconsistencies. And so when we were asking them who's responsible for setting a leading culture, they were saying, well, it's not us. And yet the things that are actually shaping the culture day to day is communicating it, living it out, addressing all the inconsistencies within it. I was like, no, that's your responsibility. You're carrying the weight of that and you are actually shaping the culture, which is why oftentimes if you don't see the middle of the organization taking the personal responsibility and ownership for the culture, then the culture will not be the aspirations of the business. It will be the average of the business. And culture is average is not aspirations. However, culture can be aspirational. So it's it's about finding those balance between those two. Oh my gosh, you just said something so cool. I'm writing it down. Averages, not aspirations. That is such a great definition for culture as well. Ooh, I like that. That one just made me very excited. <laughs> I really like it. So, and thank you also for saying, because I was going to ask if that was something you'd observed as well, why did you think that was? And you just said there's a need to take personal responsibility and without that personal responsibility, things don't really kind of perhaps gel in the way that they should. Does those findings in that report that you did, I should say, study that happened that fed into the book, and we will link to the book in the show notes for everyone who's interested. I love your focus on Australian organisations as well. That is very, very useful and highly relevant. It's very intentional. There's so much research that comes out of the US and other places and other parts of the world. When I was preparing for this, I go, what's the stuff that's close to home for us? Like, what are our... Aussie managers and leaders, what are they talking about right now? Yeah, for sure. So important and so rarely considered. What organisations do, and I know I'm intentionally using the word organisations because it may be across those different levels. What can organisations do to help those middle managers, people managers to feel confident, to take personal responsibility and to, to kind of build the capability and the confidence to be culture leaders. Maybe that's not the right term to use, but I hope you understand what I'm getting at. No, I think so. I mean, the leaders is a good, leaders in any context, I think is a good word. Like if you think about, you know, I'm not sure what your experience is like, or even people who are listening to this, when you've rented a house versus when you've owned a house. And I, for many people that just feels like a you know, foreign thing, you know, to even own a house at the moment, but even just imagine the mindset that you have when you're renting, there's this mindset of like, I can't do anything to this place. I can't, you know, hang anything on the walls. I don't want to damage anything. If something's broken, it's somebody else's responsibility to fix, not mine versus when you own it, think about any object you own. You're like, you take care of it. You look after it, you build to it, you add to it. And I think part of the organizational conversation for leaders is what does it look like to have cultural leaders that are cultural owners rather than cultural renters. So when you're part of an organization, it's like that organization's culture and I either love it or I hate it as opposed to this is our organization's culture. How do I help it become all it can be? And I think middle managers, kind of more junior leaders within the organization, even to like right up into the early, just before your C-suite level leaders, it's totally forgivable that they don't feel like that because most often when we talk about cultural leadership, we say it has to come from the top and you just basically model that all the way down. And so there's never been a top-down empowerment 
moment to say, we want you to lead and help and shape our culture because there's this fear that, well, if we allow our leaders to take personal ownership over the culture, we're going to end up with all these different kinds of cultures colliding within our organization. But the reality is they already have it because culture exists wherever there's a collective organization of people. So they've got it already. And so what are they so afraid of? I mean, what what senior leader of an organization is going to go, you know what? I saw the way you got your team together and said, as a team, we want to be more innovative and collaborative. That's not okay. Why are you doing that? Why are you taking personal leadership over that? I mean, who in their right mind would do that? No one's creating a culture that is like, totally in contrast or conflict within the business. And if they are, it's the exception rather than the rule. So this is why a lot of people don't feel empowered and as a result, don't take personal ownership. Mm, Yes. You've mentioned some really important things there about understanding where the key influences inside an organization are for living culture at that management level. And, uh, and I love that take. It's true. There is that sense of insecurity, uncertainty about it. But if we, if we kind of release control, what is that going to mean? But the reality is that's where the control is anyway. That's where it is happening and coming to life anyway. Yeah. Let's talk kind of tactically for people managers For people who are at that level who may not have the confidence or may not know what to do, what should they do to prepare to kind of have conversations or to to kind of bring this idea, this concept of culture to the forefront in their team? It's a great question and and the most helpful question, right, which is what do I do to create the culture that I want within the team that I have? And I would say the first point is – if you're feeling a little bit nervous or anxious about that, just 3% of managers that we surveyed said they felt fully confident about knowing how to shape the culture of their team. So if you feel a little bit, it's like most things, if you feel a bit like silly or ignorant, like you're actually perfectly normal in feeling like that because because culture is so complex and so tricky, it becomes really hard to make it practical. And that was really the goal that I, uh, both the book and my work is to try and help make culture practical for people. So let me give you five really quick conversations, but actually you can do them at any time you want. And I would say just start with the first one as a kickstart to that. Number one, have a conversation about expectations. We carry expectations of one another that are often unspoken. And in having a conversation with one another about expectations, we make the unspoken spoken for people. And in doing so, we start to take that unseen element of culture. It almost starts to make it observable and spoken and talked about. And so number one, have a conversation with your team about expectations. And all I would just ask is this question. Hey, what do we expect of one another on this team about the way we do work together? Around the way we communicate, we connect, we collaborate. Like what are we expecting of each other in this team? The second. And Shane, can I just check, is that a team-based conversation? That's not a one-on-one, that is... A team-based conversation, yeah. So I would say the three expectations are what do I as a leader expect of you as a team? What do you as a team expect of me as a leader? And what do you as a team expect of one another on this team? So those are the three sets of expectations. And in doing so, what you'll find is these big themes begin to emerge, right? So you'll go, well, actually, we expect that we want to have a really collaborative team or an innovative team, or we want to have a really direct and relational team or an empathetic and positive team. And you start to see these themes emerge, which are really helpful, right? And that's where most people stop. So the second part of that is to go, what would this look like in practice? And that's the second conversation, which is around the clarification conversation, which is what does empathy look like day to day? What does collaboration look like in team meetings? If we would all leave this meeting and this conversation to create a more collaborative team, which is what we want, 
what would we do tomorrow to make that a reality? What are the three, four priorities that we would go in the next six months, we're going to do these four things consistently. And in doing so, we'd create a more this kind of culture. So that's a really, really crucial piece because most people just don't know how to actually go about doing it. And when we make it clear, then we make it practical and we make it accessible. The third one would be around a communication conversation, which is around how do we talk about this every day? What kind of language can we give to this that helps reinforce it in our vocabulary? So it could be like, we want to be more direct in the way we talk to each other and we want to get rid of some of the gossip and the stuff that we talk about each other. So the language we might create for that is, in our team, we talk to each other, not about each other. It's a real short little mantra or meme that people can have that they can hold on to that when they talk about it, it links back to their culture. What are the stories that we can tell in our team that illustrate our culture in action? How do we communicate through storytelling, not just through kind of spreadsheets or PowerPoint presentations? So that's the third one. And the last two conversations are really, really quite, they're kind of opposite ends of the the spectrum of this, which is what are the behaviors that as a team we're going to confront when we see the misalignment? So how do we have the tough conversations with one another to address cultural inconsistencies when we see them? And on the other side of that, how do we intentionally go after and celebrate the good things that are living out the culture when we see them? So it's both reward and recognition for great behavior and also tough conversations for addressing cultural inconsistency. And those two hand in hand can help shape the culture of your team. So those would be the five conversations I would have your team. Amazing framework. Thank you very much for sharing that and for sharing the specifics around that. So cool. I just want to ask you about the logistics of that. Would you recommend a leader, a people leader, team leader? Should those conversations all happen in one session? Do you recommend they're broken across different? And I'm sure there's an element of it depends, but what do you recommend? Yeah, what I would say is having the conversation at all is better than not having the conversation. So if you've got an hour, use it. If you're struggling to find time with your team, just use whatever you do have and do whatever you can within that time. Start with a conversation about expectation and clarification. If you could start with those two, those are going to be the most helpful for you because you will find that in the process of that, you learn a lot about each other that you didn't know. Oh, I didn't know that optimism was really important to you. I didn't know that you wanted to create a more empathetic team. All I knew is that you just got angry when I wasn't very optimistic. So I would say start with that. Those two conversations probably will take you half a day, really, if you if you give them time and space to breathe. So if you can get a half day with your team, start with those two and then work the others out over time. But if you've only got an hour a week or a 30-minute team meeting every week, then just start little bits at a time. So do it weekly and do it over six or eight weeks and work your way through those conversations. Thank you very much for sharing that. There's a couple of times a year when teams are able to come, to, you know, as part of their planning or when they are kind of redesigning their team or something and it may be that there are some opportunities to include these conversations in those kinds of sessions but I also love what you said about use what you've got don't put it off yes don't put it off so important <laughs> it doesn't need to wait oh Shane thank you so much for this conversation I feel like we could keep talking all day let me know how can people get in contact with you keep the conversation going because I'm sure there will be and I mean frankly there 
there should be very many people after this conversation getting in touch with you to learn more because this is such an important topic for organisational performance. Well, I, I plan on talking all day. You're welcome to press stop recording anytime, but we'll continue the conversation <laughs> on afterwards and maybe we'll release that in the uncut version coming up. But I mean, the best way people connect with me, I, I hang out on LinkedIn most of the time. You can check out my website at shanemhatton.com. But I, I mean, I wrote Let's Talk Culture, which is the five conversations that you need to create the team that you want with a summary page and a facilitator had a guide at the back of every chapter so that teams can facilitate these conversations with their team without me. I mean, if you want me to come and help facilitate, by all means, I would love to, but I wrote it to hopefully empower people listening to have those conversations. So that's always a really good place to start. Awesome. We will link to everything in the show notes as always. Thank you so very much for your time. Thank you. This has been such a great conversation and I'm really looking forward to continuing our best friend relationship. Likewise. (laughs) I can't wait. Thanks so much for having me. 